Good morning. My name is Tom Buter. I'm discipleship and congregational care pastor here at New Covenant Church. And uh, thankful to be here with you this morning and thankful to be able to teach and preach from God's Word, which is the all-sufficient Word that speaks of Christ's all-sufficient merit. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn in them to 2 Chronicles. So go to the Old Testament. If you get to Kings, go a little further. If you get to Ezra, you've gone too far, or the Psalms, you've gone too far. Second Chronicles, uh, chapter 10. I will not be reading all three chapters, but I will be uh, preaching from all three chapters. So we'll read chapter 10, and we'll read some selections from the other two chapters. <clears throat> Second Chronicles, chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. And as soon as Jeroboam the son of Nebat heard of it, for he was in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon, then Jeroboam returned from Egypt, and they sent and called him. And Jeroboam and all Israel came and said to Rehoboam, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. And he said to them, Come to me again in three days. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon his father while he was yet alive, saying, How do you advise me to answer this people? And they said to him, If you will be good to this people... And please them, and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. But he abandoned the counsel of the old men that they gave him, and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. And he said to them, What do you advise that we answer this people, who have said to me, Lighten the yoke that your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him said, Thus shall you speak to the people who said to you, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. And now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, I will discipline you with scorpions. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam, the third day, as the king said, come to me again on the third day. And the king answered them harshly, forsaking the counsel of the old men. King Rehoboam spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to it. My father disciplined you with whips, I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of affairs brought about by God that the Lord might fulfill his word, which he spoke by Ahijah the Shilonite to Jeroboam the son of Nebat. When all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, What portion have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. Each of you to your tents, O Israel. Look now to your own house, David. So all Israel went to their tents. But Rehoboam reigned over the people of Israel who lived in the cities of Judah. Then King Rehoboam sent Hadaram, who was taskmaster over the forced labor, and the people of Israel stoned him to death with stones. And King Rehoboam quickly mounted his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. 
So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. This is the word of the Lord. Palm Sunday is a Sunday about a king who enters a city in peace, riding on a donkey, not on a war horse. Uh, This year I want to be preaching as I have opportunity through the kings uh, in Chronicles. And what I want us to see from these different kings, there's going to be uh, a lot of rhyming with their lives and stories, is I want us to answer this question. What do these kings teach us about Christ the King? And Palm Sunday is, as like, like all Sundays, is a day about Christ, but in particular it's about Him coming as the King of Peace. Have you ever asked for advice? Have you ever followed bad advice? Or have you ever disregarded good advice? Uh, maybe you've uh, followed good advice and you look back and say, whew, I, uh, I dodged a bullet there. Glad I followed that. Uh, perhaps you were advised to put your money into crypto, which is a modern-day gold rush that nobody wants to miss out on. Um, <clears throat> I remember a time when I had uh, received advice. So you've maybe received advice to follow your passion, and uh, maybe that did or did not lead to great things. Uh, I remember when I was going off to college, I received advice from my 88-year-old grandmother. Uh, and she, you know, think of a, think of a Dutch accent, uh, and she, she just said, uh, pick something and stick mit it. So, <clears throat> just pick something and stick mit it. And I, uh, I followed that advice. I never changed my major and just kind of, so I'm going to follow this and see what happens. And I'm not going to stress out too much as I don't know what I'm doing. And the whole point is I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just going to pick something and stick with it. Uh, and I'm thankful for that advice. Uh, I was able to graduate in four years and uh, keep moving forward. Uh, too often, I have not followed good advice. So this chapter, primarily about Rehoboam getting advice. Um, <clears throat> the advice that he gets is two-sided. So this begins with a coronation. Solomon has died. Solomon is the son of David. Rehoboam is David's grandson. So he comes from a good family, we would say. Uh, and this is his coronation. Shechem is a a special place in the land of Israel, and the people gather there for an assembly to uh, receive him and crown him as king. They know that he's the one who's going to inherit it, but there's a little bit of a back and forth as we see with their dialogue. Uh, And we see that uh, Rehoboam uh, in chapter 12, it mentions uh, in verse 13 that his mother's name was Nama the Ammonite. So there seems to be a practice in David's household that Rather than the oldest son becoming king, the favorite son becomes king. Uh, and this leads to instability in most countries and most places when you don't have a clear line of succession. But Solomon had set aside uh, Rehoboam to be king, just as David had made Solomon king, even though Solomon was far from being the oldest, which is why there was so much conflict with his brothers. But it's important to note that Rehoboam's mother was an Ammonite. She was not an Israelite. So in that sense, he does not come from good stock because uh, his mother would have had a great influence, which is a good thing that mothers have great influence, but in this case it's a negative thing because she's not of the people of Israel. She's not one to instruct him in the ways of the Lord. And I think this contributes to his, his background and things that we learn and see about him. 
So he becomes king, the people gather, and they bring Jeroboam back from exile because Jeroboam in previous chapters had received prophecy that he would actually uh, be a rival to the house of David. So Jeroboam is this uh, leader and organizer, and he gathers, and he seems to be a spokesman for the people, and uh, he's, he's shrewd, and he says, let's ask the king to make life a little easier. We want a new administration, and we want things to be better. We want some promises, and we want him to fulfill those promises, and he seeks advice. So uh, this uh, chapter 10 is our, our first point, and we'll have three points. But this is our first point is Rehoboam's folly, which is actually the heading for the chapter if you have an ESV Bible in front of you. I'm not going to try to outsmart the editors of the ESV Bible and come up with something more clever. It's Rehoboam's folly. It's just what it is. So his first folly, as we'll actually see. And what is his folly? We might simply say that his folly is that he took the advice of the young men and he ignored the advice of the old men. Seems pretty simple, pretty laid out. So the application is you should just listen to the older men and not listen to the younger men or younger people or peers or whatever. And just listen to the older folks and things will be just fine. There's some truth to that, but I don't think that that's the main point of this passage. There's something I think a little deeper. Uh, When we, we look at history, we sometimes see young men doing great things and older men failing. Uh, The Reformation was started by young men. Martin Luther was barely 30 years old. Uh, John Calvin was younger than him, and among others. And so we see uh, young men do great things for the Lord. Uh, David was a young man and a mighty man and a man after God's own heart. Uh, Saul was an older man. So we see examples where we want to look a little deeper and say, what is Rehoboam's folly? it can, be, it can be our own folly just to simply follow the younger because they're younger, and I think that's a temptation in America. We idolize youth, and so we're very interested in what young celebrity, celebrities may have to say about one thing or another, or what do the young people think? Maybe we should change our, our fashion or our logos to attract younger people to our institutions. Um, the youth are the future. We're all invested in covenant theology and building the generations, uh, but we're also focused on generations, not just one generation. So in Rehoboam's case, yes, he follows the advice of the young men to his own folly. But what is this advice? I think it's, the problem is he follows their advice, not necessarily who's giving the advice. And so what is the advice of the young men? think it could be summarized this way. Their advice, as he becomes king and he gets off to his start of the, uh, the Rehoboam administration, is to prove yourself. Prove yourself, Rehoboam. Show the people who is king. You will be greater than your father. And this seems to be the priority of his words. So looking at verse 14, let's see his words. King Rehoboam spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to it. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people. It was a turn of affairs brought about by God. So he says he wants to make their life harder. He wants to prove himself. Uh, Some commentators have mentioned that maybe a scorpion is a particular kind of nasty whip. Um, 
I'd rather prefer to just think that they're literally going to use scorpions, just tie them to the end of a rope and just start whacking away, uh, not holding back. Um, Whatever it is, it's clear he wants to make life harder and more difficult because he's a strong king and he wants to prove that. But also notice uh, the other words that they advised to him in verse 10, not just with the whips, but even speaking about himself. And they advised him, thus you shall speak to the people, thus you shall say to them, my little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. Well, I would tell you this isn't really talking about pinkies or thighs, just use your imagination, but I also do not want you to use your imagination. Uh, What Rehoboam is essentially saying is, I'm a big man, I'm in charge. Uh, And so he uses these um, um, metaphors or hyperbole to uh, describe things. Uh, And so these are the words he uses to describe himself as a king, you need to listen to me. These words are not the words of a servant. Uh, the old men, advi- their advice to him was that he should be a humble king, that he should serve the people. And if he was to serve the people, the people would serve him forever. The young men advised him to be a harsh king because he's a new leader and he needs to prove himself. He needs to, on day one, he needs to show them who's in charge. So the application here for him, from them, uh, these are not the words of a servant. God puts all of us in positions uh, of leadership, big and small. Fathers, mothers, parenting, being older siblings, being younger siblings. Uh, so even kids, you have an opportunity to be leaders. There's leadership for all of us in various places. At home, work, school, traveling, eating. There's, somebody's got to take the lead somewhere sometime. Uh, even if you're just trying to pick a restaurant to go to altogether. Uh, Are your words in leadership, are your words the words of a servant? Rehoboam's words are a far cry from Christ's words. In Mark 10, 45, Christ said, The Son of Man came to serve and not to be served, and to give his life, life as a ransom for many. And John the Baptist Uh, When he was ministering and he spoke about Christ as he was a leader and pointing to Christ, he said, he must increase, but I must decrease. It's the words of a servant. So simply this, follow leaders who make something of other things than themselves. Follow leaders who make much of something other than themselves. But what about other leaders in this text? There's more leaders than just Rehoboam and the advisors. There's also leadership from Jeroboam, and uh, their words, uh, their, their name, the meanings of their names are actually uh, important to us. It can often be a little bit of a clue about what's going on in a story when you look at the meaning of people's names. Uh, ironically, Rehoboam's name means the people are enlarged, when that's the opposite of what happens when he becomes king. The nation becomes a smaller nation, uh, so the opposite of his, the meaning of his name is the reality for his kingdom. And Jeroboam's name means he who opposes the people, which is kind of a double irony because he does seem to oppose the leader of the people and some of the people, and he's not going to be good for the people in the long run. But on this day, he's an advocate for the people, so he's actually doing what's opposite of the meaning of his name. Uh, He is uh, advocating for the people. And so this is the great split of the two kingdoms, of Israel and Judah, and then we 
in reading our Bibles, spend the rest of the Old Testament trying to make sense of which kingdom are we talking about, which prophet was in which kingdom. Judah's the southern kingdom. South Carolina, good, right? Is Judah good? North, north, not so good in some people's opinions. Uh, being from Michigan, I won't give my opinion. <clears throat> uh, and Israel, the northern kingdom, becomes the apostate kingdom, as we will see. And so the kingdom separates according to the word of the Lord. Um, this is to fill, fulfill prophecies. And it's, it's a sad day for Israel. Division is a sad thing for any people, any church, any place. Uh, and there is a great, uh, uh, in a sense, an unfixed break in unity with this episode. And it happens through the taking of bad advice. But it's a fa an affair, a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord. So the Lord is sovereign over this. Uh, even as we might think, okay, who sinned? Whose fault is this? Yes, there's sin on Rehoboam's part, and yes, it's his fault. He's a catalyst for this, but these things were already being prepared beforehand, for the Lord had a plan in bringing these things about. Uh, and we'll see what he does after uh, this sad day for, uh, for the kingdom of Israel. <clears throat> and so Rehoboam acts in accordance with his own nature, and his own nature and desires serve to fulfill the Lord's ends and the purpose to divide the kingdom in preserving a remnant for himself. So even though God was against Rehoboam in this situation, but really Rehoboam was against God, um, he's not against Rehoboam completely, which will bring us to our second part. Our second part is that God shows favor to Rehoboam. So verse uh, chapter 11, I'll just skip around here. Uh, Rehoboam's immediate response, chapter 11, verse 1, is he goes to Jerusalem and he assembles the house of Judah and Benjamin. Little Benjamin sticks with Judah. So Rehoboam gets two tribes, Jeroboam gets ten, and he gathers 180,000 warriors to fight against Israel, to restore the kingdom to himself. So the division is not helped by this. They're going to go to war. Let's fight this out. Let's kill each other. Uh, but the word of the Lord comes by Shemaiah, the man of God. And God says to him, Say to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all Israel in Judah and Benjamin, Thus says the Lord, You shall not go up to fight against your relatives. Return every man to his home, for this thing is from me. It can be a wonderful thing to hear a word from the Lord that just says, Peace. I know, you're, I know what you want to do. Put your weapons down. Let's have peace. Even though it's not a peace that you're going to want or enjoy because you want to bring the kingdom back together, even if by force. And so they listened to the word of the Lord and returned and did not go against Jeroboam. So this is where Rehoboam actually takes some good advice. He listens to the word of the Lord and he doesn't go to war. And then he seeks to be a good king. He, uh, in verses 5 and following, he strengthens cities and fortresses with soldiers and supplies, and uh, perhaps he's preparing for war, uh, so maybe he's not totally listening, but he is, um, any good king is going to strengthen his kingdom, particularly its borders, uh, with its most likely uh, opponent and rival. And then verse 13, uh, we see uh, that... Um, <clears throat> 
we see uh, another way in which the Lord favors him. The Lord favors him by giving him a word from a prophet to give him good advice, but the Lord also shows favor in this way, verse 13. And the priests and the Levites who were in all Israel presented themselves. For the Levites left their common lands and their holdings and came to Judah and Jerusalem because Jeroboam and his sons cast them out from serving as priests of the Lord. And he appointed his own priests for the high places and for the goat idols and for the calves that he had made. And those who had set their hearts to seek the Lord God of Israel came after them from all the tribes of Israel to Jerusalem to sacrifice to the Lord, the God of their fathers. They strengthened the kingdom of Judah, and for three years they made Rehoboam the son of Solomon secure, for they walked for three years in the way of David and Solomon. So when Jeroboam takes over, we see um, more of this in uh, 1 Kings. When Jeroboam takes over, he realizes, okay, now I have ten tribes what are these ten tribes going to do for, for their worship? Well, they're all going to go to Jerusalem, which means eventually the people are going to return to Rehoboam because he's, he's got control of the religious institutions. So Jeroboam shrewdly and sinfully says, I'm going to start my own religious institution. And he sets up golden calves in the north and in the south of his kingdom and tells the people to worship there. He ordains his own priests, not from the tribe of Levi, but anybody who's willing to pay the fee to become a priest. So he's able to gather up uh, finances and build up his own treasury because he's a new king with a new kingdom, but he doesn't necessarily have uh, all the infrastructure that he needs to build up his kingdom. So he uses religion to his own ends and establishes uh, idolatry, worshiping of calves and goat idols throughout the kingdom and leads the people astray. And so what we'll see with uh, Jeroboam is that his name will be a byword throughout the rest of the books of Kings and Chronicles because nobody leads the people to sin like Jeroboam leads the people to sin. Uh, he establishes idolatry as the state religion. And this leads many astray, but what do we see here? All who set their hearts to seek the Lord God of Israel came after the Levites from all the tribes of Israel to Jerusalem to seek the God of their fathers. There's still people who say, no, we will spurn the false worship that Jeroboam is leading us into, and we will leave our common lands, our holdings, our ancestral lands that have belonged to our fathers for hundreds of years, and we will leave them to seek with our hearts the God of our fathers. And so the priests and the Levites who were spread throughout the land are now in Rehoboam's kingdom, and he has many who can now teach the word. And this leads them for three years. It's quite unfortunate to just see the word three years. That's a, that's a short time. It, it goes by in a flash. So we're already seeing signs that this is going to be short-lived. <clears throat> but in these three years, uh, they, they lead and teach, uh, and the times are good. And so... Uh, the, the, the nation is further divided. It's divided geographically. It's being divided ethnically along family lines and tribal lines, and now it's being divided along religious lines. So this is great. There's great political, economic, and social upheaval and consequences because of Rehoboam's foolishness. <clears throat> but the Lord has brought this trial upon his people. This is a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord, and the Lord, in the midst of this trial, as people have to leave their their land in order to set their hearts on him uh, and uh, be tested in their faith. The Lord is, is testing them and really saying, who will you serve? 
what if I give you a terrible king who will lead you into idolatry and a not-so-good king who is a son of David but yet will maintain uh, my sacrifices and the worship of me, the one true God? Uh, will you serve your own comforts and wishes and your own logic? Some ways you can say, well, I mean, the Lord in His Word gave this land to us, so we shouldn't leave it so we can be obedient to Him. Uh, but maybe you should leave it if it, it's going to lead you into idolatry. So they have a crisis of faith, and yet the Lord is favorable to provide the teachers of the law that they need and to uh, secure them in Jerusalem, the city that He has put His presence upon. And so Rehoboam is not a wise king, he's not a humble king, he's not a clever tactician or military leader. What quality does he have going for him? Uh, the only thing he seems to have is that he's a son of David. And so in the midst of all this not good stuff, the people respond to the Lord with an act of faith to say, even though he's not a good king, he's a son of David, and I will put my trust in this earthly symbol of the son of David uh, because he's really showing us uh, and pointing us to the true son of David who we are secure in. Psalm 2 says about, uh, about the king who the Lord enthrones. It says, blessed are all they who take refuge in him. The true son of David is the one your soul must take refuge in to be saved. Christ is this true son of David. And so Rehoboam experiences God's unmerited favor, right? We just sang of all-sufficient merit. It's an all-sufficient merit that comes from Christ himself. And the Lord, uh, the Lord loves to show this favor and grace to his people, to those who love him. Unmerited favor. That's God's grace. Rehoboam's small kingdom prospers and is strengthened militarily, religiously, and even numerically as people come in. The faithful followers return to the southern kingdom. And as we even see in the latter part of chapter 11, Rehoboam's own family is filled. He has many sons and daughters. And so he becomes strong. And that's what leads us to chapter 12 and our third point. Uh, so as we get to the end of, uh, of the story of Rehoboam, we see two things. Uh, one's fortunate and one is unfortunate. Uh, Rehoboam has not changed, uh, but neither has God. And so chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse 1, When the rule of Rehoboam was established and he was strong, he abandoned the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. So again, we're going to see his following folly. He has further folly for us to see. Uh, Rehoboam seemed to be obeying God and having blessing and I think he started to uh, be tempted thinking that maybe the prosperity came from his own actions, his own strength, uh, a little prosperity gospel, a little health, a little wealth, a little obedience, uh, a few good things. Um, maybe you've ex thought this or experienced this in your own life. Yes, uh, God has favored me, but I was wise to obey. I, I did, I'd respond in the right way, so I'll give myself a little pat on the back for that. Uh, look at me. Look what my hands have done. And so he thinks he's going to leave this legacy because he did things right after that one big mistake, but he's learned his lesson. Uh, so Rehoboam may or may not have had such thoughts, uh, but uh, we can all share in such thoughts. At the very least, he gets to the point in trusting his own strength rather than that of the Lord who established him in the first place. 
And so we see yet another theme that's going to show up through the rest of Chronicles, but this is the first time it shows up here. And it's the theme of foreign invaders coming to discipline the people at the Lord's bidding. And so Rehoboam thinks of himself as pretty strong, and the Lord immediately sends Shishak, the king of Egypt, against Jerusalem. And he comes with a mighty army and a mighty horde uh, with not just the Egyptians, but the Libyans and the Sukhim and the Ethiopians. And he seizes the cities that Rehoboam had built up. And he surrounds Jerusalem itself. And Shemaiah the prophet has to go to Rehoboam and to the princes of Judah who are gathered there under siege. And he says, this is what the Lord says in verse, uh, verse 5. You abandon me, so I have abandoned you. To the hand of Shishak. The Lord, again, is showing his sovereignty, and he's also showing uh, that his thoughts are much beyond our thoughts, that he would bring a foreign horde. The very people that had previously enslaved the Israelites a few hundred years ago are now the people the Lord is using to discipline uh, the one he loves. So the chronicler is making things really simple as he uh, lays out these, uh, these accounts. Listen to God and the law of the Lord... Uh, Listen to God and you will be secure. Not necessarily health and wealth, but you'll have security. Be secure in the Lord. Rehoboam abandons the law of the Lord and the nation is punished. God is truly a heavenly father. But we don't want to miss Rehoboam's response in the middle of this. It is repentance with humility. And so, verse 6, The princes of Israel and the king humbled themselves and said, The Lord is righteous. The beginning of humility is often just beginning to say what is true. What is true? The Lord is righteous. When the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah again. They have humbled themselves. I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance. My wrath will not be poured out on Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. Nevertheless, they shall be servants to him, that they may know my service and the service of the kingdom, kingdoms of the countries." So here we see this uh, language of service again. Rehoboam did not start out as a servant king. And then he really thought highly of himself. And the Lord is humbling himself because he said, I'm going to teach you service. You need to be a servant. Uh, And that's greatly lacking in Rehoboam. But again, what does this teach us about Christ the king? We we see that he is uh, a servant of the peoples. He washes the feet of his disciples. Uh, He's the servant king the chronicler is telling us to be looking for. So uh, we see that uh, in, this, uh, in this account that uh, Rehoboam is not wise, uh, but uh, the wisest thing he does is that he hum- ends up humbling himself. And this is the key really to understanding the whole book of Chronicles, First and Second Chronicles. Because if you look at uh, chapter 10, which we just read, you could read it almost verbatim in 1 Kings 12. So why repeat almost verbatim the same thing twice and other things get repeated three times or more? Well, um, if we compare and contrast, it's an old teaching tool, compare and contrast. If we compare Chronicles and contrast it with Kings, what do we see? We see that Kings tells us how we got into this mess, which is the exile. How do we end up losing the land, losing the temple, and ending up in a foreign country? Well, read the book of Kings. We sinned a lot. How do we get out of this mess now that we've been restored to the land post-exile? 
Read Chronicles. Humility, repentance, turning to the Lord. Compare and contrast, and you see uh, how the people are taught from the same stories, but two different lessons. And so, uh, as we we see these passages and we are, are taught these things, we're also taught one of the simplest and most useful things, as we would ask one of the simplest and most useful questions. What does this passage tell me about God? Uh, what do you learn about God from this text? Well, here are a couple of things. God shows grace to people that do not deserve it. God controls everything. God delights in his people, delighting in himself. God listens to humble pleas. He has no time for the arrogant, the haughty, or the prideful. He is eternal, but he has no time for you, if that's your attitude. But if you are meek and lowly, contrite and humble, he has all the time in the world. Literally, all the time in the world. He created time, after all. And because uh, he loves to see humility, uh, he loves to see humility because humility is Christ-likeness. Isn't that what Philippians 2 teaches us? Uh, The mind of Christ. And so he loves to see Christ-likeness because he loves his son. His son is one with himself, and anything that looks like his son is something that he loves. And so God, if God loves you and you are not humble, he will humble you because he loves you. <clears throat> the Lord opposes the proud, but give grace to the humble. And who is more humble than the Son of God himself, who left heaven's glory, was born under the law, and undergoing all the miseries of this life, he humbled himself as a king who rode to Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday on a donkey, because he was the Prince of Peace who came in peace. But he brought that peace by being crucified on the cross. He died and was buried. Jesus Christ humbled himself out of love. And as the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ himself, he calls to you from this very Word, and he says, I receive you. Will you humble yourself? Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for this word, which is your word, it teaches us about your Son. Oh Lord, we thank you that you love us. You love us enough to humble us, and you love us when we are humble, because that makes us look like Jesus. We pray, O oh Lord, that uh, you would be gracious to help us to follow good advice. You would be gracious to show us favor even when we follow bad advice, that we might have repeated opportunities for repentance and that uh, we could turn uh, every blessing we receive from you in thanksgiving and not see it as the establishment of the work of our own hands. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but thine be the glory. So we thank you for your Son. We thank you for light. We thank you for peace. We can have peace through the blood of the cross. We pray these things. In his mighty name, amen.